On the afternoon of February the 14th, 1945, Charles Walton, a 74-year-old farm labourer, is brutally attacked and murdered, pinned to the ground with his own pitchfork, his throat slashed. The work of a deranged escape prisoner, a local farmer with an axe to grind, or a ritualistic killing. I'm Cap Park. Join me with your favourite tipple as we unfold the details of this grisly and brutal case of Charles Walton Unsolved in the Murder and Wine Club. Every household within Upper and Lower Quinton are interviewed over several weeks. Back at Police HQ, Fabian has set up a large map on the wall of his office. This is where all suspects are marked with a pin, so their movements can be tracked on the day of the murder. Long Marston, some two and a half miles from Lower Quinton, is the home to RAF Long Marston. It's also where over 1,000 Italian prisoners of war are being held. Prisoners are regularly seen around Lower and Upper Quinton. They are allowed to roam the surrounding area as they please. Detective Sergeant Saunders of Special Branch is fluent in Italian and Fabian tasks him with interviewing the prisoners. An arduous task, Saunders discovers on the afternoon of the murders, prisoners had gone into Stratford-upon-Avon to see a play and some had been to the cinema. The prison usually kept a schedule of work days and free days, but no individual records are kept of prisoners' movements. It is plausible one of the Italian collaborators could have come across Walton on their travels. There are many examples of Italian prisoners being seen in the villages by the locals buying cigarettes or just walking along the road that day, but the individuals cannot be identified properly. Another line of inquiry also lies within Long Marston, this time with RAF personnel stationed there. One witness, another farm worker, saw a British officer and a civilian collecting something on Meon Hill at approximately 11am on the day of the murder. Detectives soon trace a lieutenant with the 23rd ITC, a sergeant and a lance corporal. The lieutenant was in charge of manoeuvres at Meon Hill on that particular day. The person seen collecting things was a lance corporal removing booby traps. It was quickly established that the soldiers left Meon Hill after 11am and then left the district at 2pm. However, the lance corporal reported seeing a youth ploughing a field at approximately 11am on Meon Hill, close to where Walton was murdered. He also reports seeing a man aged 60 to 70 years of age, 5 foot 4, dressed in a dark suit and wearing a light coloured cap. This man was also carrying a stick, walking along a fence towards Meon Hill Farm, 
half a mile south from where Charles was found dead. These new pieces of evidence led the police to a son of a local farmer who owns Meon Hill Farm. He tells them that on the 14th of February he has been working in a field that overlooks Upper Quinton from 10am until 6pm. The only person he sees is a man at about 3pm. The man stood by a hedge about 150 yards from where he was ploughing. The youth doesn't notice anything peculiar and can only describe him vaguely. He said that the man appeared to be looking towards Lower Quinton Church and was there for about half an hour. The man did not pass him at any time, so it is assumed that he came up from Upper Quinton. The police are unable to identify the man on the hill. Soon police tracked down the man initially thought to be Charles, walking by the hedgerow. A 64-year-old farm labourer is interviewed and tells them he visits me on hill almost every morning to see his cattle. On the day of the murder, the man indeed walked along the hedge as described by the Lance Corporal. He confirms that he was dressed as described and had been carrying a walking stick. The 64-year-old farm labourer said he remembered seeing somebody ploughing in the field, but didn't recall seeing any soldiers. There is only one other person the police determine who had been working near where Charles Walton was murdered. His best friend, George Higgins, a 72-year-old odd job man who has been a lifelong friend of Charles Walton and with whom he had, for several years until the winter of 1944, worked with him. On the 14th of February, Charles's friend was working on a farm where he was employed as an odd job man. He started at about 8.30am. He worked in the barn at the back of his employer's bakery until noon, when he then went into the bakehouse to have his lunch. He later left the bakehouse at around 12.30pm and returned to the barn where he worked until about 4pm. The police noted that the field adjoining the farm, which the man would no doubt have been in from time to time, was no more than 300 yards from the field that Charles Walton was found dead in, and that he could have quite easily reached that field from the adjoining field beside the bakehouse, unseen. As far as an opportunity was concerned, Charles's best friend could have quite easily committed the murder and then returned to his work without his absence being noted. However, George is a frail old man of 72 years of age, small in stature and partially crippled. It is also further reported that there is no evidence other than he was always on the friendliest of terms with Charles Walton and that it would be difficult to imagine that he could have committed a crime of such savagery. With numerous lines of inquiries ongoing, the police are still no closer to catching the killer as leads turn cold and suspects are eliminated from the investigation. But this is soon to change. The murder of Charles Walton is baffling Fabian and his team. 
4,000 statements have been taken. Hundreds of hours of manpower have been put into the investigation. Suspects have been interrogated and ruled out. But one man remains the prime suspect. Alfred Potter, Charles Walton's employer. Alfred Potter is a married 40-year-old farmer who has managed the Furs, a local farm, for the past five years on behalf of L.L. Potts & Co., a company owned by his father. Potter's behaviour has been odd ever since discovering the body of his employee. He has been interviewed on several occasions by different detectives, and each time his story is slightly different, sometimes with a different slant, or the chronological order of his whereabouts and what he did is skewed. His wife's behaviour is also causing detectives concern. Potter is first interviewed at 11pm on the night of the murder by Detective Inspector Toombs. It is established that Walton has been employed for the last nine months to cut back the hedges, but only working when the weather permits due to his arthritis. Hill ground is the last field needing attention. Upon being asked about his movements that day, Potter states that he had been in the College Arms, a local pub with another farmer, Joseph Stanley, from Whitecross Farm. Both men had stayed in the pub until noon. Potter had then gone straight into the small field adjoining Hill Ground and saw Walton working approximately five to six hundred yards away. PC Lomasny, the first officer on the scene, tells his superiors that something is not sitting well with him regarding Potter. When he arrived at Hill Ground at 7.05pm, Potter seemed to be more worried than one would expect him to be. As Lomasny has in the past been on friendly terms with the Potters, he is asked to stay close to the couple to see if they reveal anything. Potter's second interview takes place a few days later, this time with Detective Sergeant Webb, who is part of Fabian's Scotland Yard team. It is intimated by Potter during this interview that Charles has been a little dishonest about the hours worked. He believes he has paid Charles for more hours than he has worked. Potter retells Webb on the day of the murder. He left the College Arms pub and walked to the Cackley's field to see his sheep and feed his calves. It was 12.20pm when Potter allegedly sees Walton. He is positively sure it is Charles as he's working where he should be on the hedges on hill ground. He also mentions that Walton is just wearing his shirt with no jacket. Webb gleans out of the interview that Potter did not visit Charles, as there was a calf in a ditch that needed his attention. Potter arrived at home at 12.40pm and then went out to attend to the calf. Potter's account differs slightly here. He had originally told Edith and Harry Beasley that he'd come to the field to cut some hay contradicting the information he'd given in his statements. Police start to verify Potter's statements and learn that the calf mentioned in his second statement was found on the previous day. A calf had been found drowned in Doomsday Ditch on the 13th of February. The carcass had not been removed from the furs until 3.30pm on the 14th of February, almost three hours after Potter had claimed to have attended to it. The police take statements from employees and five other witnesses, 
who all refer to finding the dead cow, the arrangements made for the collection, and its subsequent removal. On the back of Potter's statement, Fabian makes inquiries into Potter's financial situation, specifically looking for any debts against Potter or the companies owned by his father. It is confirmed there are no debts. Fabian also makes inquiries at the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries. A test wage investigation was made on the 12th of January 1945 at First Farm. The leading inspector for the ministry is reluctant to reveal any information about the investigation without authority from his head office. Potter's suggestion that he had paid Walton for more hours than he should have done was disproved by an examination of sums and wages for L.L. Potter and Company, and those actually paid to Walton. It was later proven that Potter was claiming more than needed to pay his employee and pocketing the difference. On the back of Walton, he had a nice little side hustle going. Police also take statements from two former employees of Potter's, William George Died and George Purnell. Both men confirmed from time to time Potter had experienced difficulties in paying them. Meanwhile, police want to substantiate Potter's claim of seeing the victim. Charles Walton's clothes are collected from the West Midlands Forensic Science Lab and it is found that his shirt sleeves have been cut away from above the elbows and that the woolen cardigan worn by him over his shirt at the time of his death had long sleeves. It is therefore impossible for Potter to have seen him working in just his shirt sleeves. It is further noted that Charles had been wearing his jacket when he was attacked, as it had a cut in the shoulder caused by the slash hook, and his clothes were saturated with blood. Police conclude that even if Charles had been working in his shirt at 12.20pm, it was unlikely he would have suddenly decided to put on his jacket, unless he had made up his mind to finish work for the day. Added to this, the 14th of February was bitterly cold. Charles, who had crippling arthritis, which was affected by cold weather, wouldn't have taken his cardigan and jacket off. PC Lomazny's visit to the Furs on the 20th of February stirs up more suspicion as he casually mentions to Potter and his wife, the police are hoping to take fingerprints from the murder weapons. Upon hearing this, Potter announces that he touched the handles of the slash hook and possibly the pitchfork when he came across the body. He claims he had already mentioned this to the police. PC Lomazny notes that Mrs Potter becomes upset at the revelation as Potter goes to great lengths to explain where his fingerprints may be on the weapon. Potter claims he touched the weapon based on Harry Beasley saying, you'd better have a look to make sure he's gone. Police recall when Harry Beasley was being interviewed on the 14th of February, he was confident that Potter had realised Walton was dead from the moment he saw Walton's body. Beasley, in a later interview, strongly refuted any question that he'd asked Potter to make sure Walton was dead, as it was obvious that he was. He also stated that Potter had not touched the weapons in his presence. More discrepancies come to light. 
Potter's statement further changes in his third statement on the 23rd of February, which contradicts his statement regarding the car. This time, he tells Fabian that after visiting Cackley's field, he had come straight home, read the paper for five minutes, and then went outside to help one of his workers, Charles Happy Bachelor, to pulp Mangold's for a few minutes. Both men had looked at the church clock and noticed it was 1pm. Potter's story is further corroborated by his wife, who has said Potter had arrived home soon after 12.30pm, read, asked how long dinner would be, then popped outside to help Bachelor. He returned to the house at 1.05pm. Bachelor also confirmed, in great detail, that Potter had helped him around 12.40pm. Police at the time thought it was very curious that the farmer having such a witness did not mention the fact of the mangold pulping in his earlier statements. The report added that the farmer might have bided his time to ensure Bachelor was willing to vouch for his movements during the time of the murder. When interviewed, Mrs Potter told detectives she had seen her husband at 11am on the morning of the murder. He had come into the house to fetch some equipment to castrate some calves and was only in the house a few minutes before leaving for White Cross Farm. Detectives find it remarkable that whilst his wife is exact about the timings of her husband's coming and goings around lunchtime, she cannot recall what they had for lunch or his movements at any other time of the day. Another discrepancy of Potter's account is his ever-changing story of seeing Walton working in the distance. Stating in his first interview he saw Walton at ten past twelve, later changing it to quarter past twelve. Once again, Potter's mind serves him wrong, changing the time to twelve twenty. Potter's final account reveals he saw someone stationary at twelve thirty p.m. The PC who relieved PC Lomasny on the night of the murder and stood guard over the scene reported that Potter returned to Hill Ground at first light on the 15th of February. The police constable had warned Potter away from the scene. The revelation brings Fabian and Webb back from London to interview Potter again, questioning why he had not told them about returning to the murder scene. A little after the murder, Happy Bachelor and one other employee resign. Fabian comments that perhaps both employees realised the nature of the man they worked for. Fabian also wondered if Bachelor had compromised himself by saying he had seen Potter at 12.40pm. The police request Potter's clothing and submit them to the West Midlands Forensic Science Lab. Two marks are found on the front of his trousers. Professor Webb believes them to be bloodstains and reports that they have been cleaned too thoroughly for a positive analysis of human blood. Mrs Potter is questioned about the trousers and is confident her husband has never washed them. Every effort is made to check the farmer's movements before, during and after the murder 
other than his wife who said that he had returned to the farmhouse at some time after half past twelve. Nobody can say that they had seen him from about noon until 12.40pm, when Happy Bachelor said he had seen him come into the mixing house and had helped him to pulp some mangold. The police report noted, however, that the fact remained that whatever the farmer did between 12 and 1pm, he would have had ample time to have committed the murder. By his own admission, he was in the adjoining field at 12.20pm. Fabian concludes that Potter is undoubtedly lying about his actions. The reason for his lies for the present are truly a matter of conjecture. This is the second of the three episodes of Charles Walton Unsolved. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and review, and remember to tell your friends. Thank you for supporting the Murder and Wine Club podcast. We really do appreciate it. You can listen to all the episodes of the Charles Walton case right now before anyone else by joining the Murder and Wine Club Access All Areas membership. You'll not only get early episode access, but you are invited to a monthly psychic detective session with one of our resident psychic mediums, plus bonus episodes and behind-the-scene access. Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash murderandwine and join today. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you are listening right now.